this undermines everything, everything, <laughs> for emphasis. Do you know, it's a difficult sermon, and now it's uh, adding to it. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> if I had it all written down, I would. Uh, anyway, so... For the people when Copernicus said the sun is at the center, not the earth, a vast particular solar system, I mean, it was a, everything, the world went upside down for some people. And it kind of, you, we, we need to have this understanding in order to kind of grasp this, this slightly curious illustration, that for us at least, because it doesn't, it's not part of our cultural story of, of Hagar and Sarah, and, and I'll come to that in a minute. But, but what Paul is saying is, is actually fundamentally shocking. In, in essence, he is saying legalism and grace don't mix. Uh, they, they just don't mix. It's like getting oil and water, you know, you mix it up and they separate out. You, they, or getting magnets if you're a child and, and you kind of think they stick together and then you get the poles that are the same and you push them. They just don't go. Doesn't work. Don't mix. That for Paul, he is, he is driving at the Galatians and saying what, what you are being taught is abandoning the truth. It's not just merging. It's not just harmonizing things. It's saying these things don't mix. Grace and legalism are separate. Oil and water, chalk and cheese. Who put chalk and cheese together? I don't know. but um, Grace and legalism don't mix. And, and Jesus, Jesus doesn't quite use these phrases. He doesn't, he doesn't preach or teach, as far as we know, about Hagar and, um, and Ishmael and, and Sarah and Isaac and Abraham. But he does push at this thing of saying grace matters. Legalism doesn't sit with it. So this is kind of a rhetorical question, but you can, you can answer this in your own mind or call it out if you want. When, when Jesus comes to people and, and they're saying, who do you think you are? And, and this, this, you know, why, why, are you, why are you going to the, the rubbish, the, 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 the rubbish people, the broken people, the most desperate people? And Jesus says this question, who is it that most needs the doctor, the healthy or the sick? I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? Isn't it? Not the hypochondriac, the sick need the doctor. And then in another instance, who, who would be most grateful? Those who've been forgiven a little or a lot? A lot. Well, there's a parable that says, you know, there's, two, there's, a, there's a, a, a workers and, and one sort of, the, 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 work, the owner comes and says, will you start work and I'll pay you? And, uh, and one starts at the end of the day, does it? and the one who says, I'll start from the end, does nothing. Uh, and it's the end, it's the one who does it. But the one who doesn't is left aside. Grace and legalism don't mix. Now, what are we on about here? So we've, we've got a story that comes from Genesis. Uh, and what Paul is doing is saying, actually what I have taught you, what I have uh, demonstrated to you about Jesus the gospel isn't something I've concocted or made up. This isn't heresy, this isn't cult, this isn't a deviation or a corruption of true faith. This is the fulfillment. That which came before, the promise, is now seen in fulfillment in Jesus. 
Jesus was the goal of the Old Testament. That it is old not in the sense of gone, but old in the sense that the fulfillment has come in Jesus. The Old Testament is not worthless, far from it, but points towards, it's the shadow of the reality to come in Jesus the Messiah. And as such, he uses uh, not only the story of uh, Abraham and trusting God and the promise, uh, and that was credited to him as righteousness, saying that it was always about faith first. He then says, uh, he goes on to this story of, of actually Abraham's offspring. And he uses this story to, to kind of make the same point. But for us, it seems a little bit challenging. Why? Because uh, basically it seems a little bit unfair. Well, I mean, Hagar and Sarah, do you know who these characters are? Just for uh, my own revision, and I'm sure you know, but it, Abraham uh, was called by God, left Ur, uh, set out, and he and his wife Sarai were, were old, and they had no children, but they believed God's promise, and they set out, and God made a covenant with them and said, I will bless you, and you'll be a blessing to people, and I'll make you a na- great nation. And that's all well and good, and, and, and Abraham went and followed, trusted God at his word, trusted the promise, and they set out on the journey. And it came to a point, because they were old, that they, they began to think how, I mean, this is, this is what we all do. We, we, we believe in the promises of God, but after time, doubt sets in. After, we're, you know, hope deferred, you know, kind of, we think, how is it going to work out? And this is kind of years later, and, and um, they're looking at each other. And they know that not only has time passed, but it's the clock stopped ticking for them and child children. So they begin to kind of come up with their own uh, kind of uh, suggestion because it really matters that they have an heir. You know, Abraham and Sarah have left. They've set out on the promises of God. They're on this adventure. And, not, and culturally, they needed an offspring. They needed a child. They needed an heir to be able to pass on a whole bunch of sheep and goats and tents and, and all the, and the land. Really mattered. Still matters to people today. Those that are unable to have children, it's, it's a deep thing. It mattered. And so they kind of begin to, to say, well, okay, that started off with a kind of whole hope and a whole kind of conviction of we'll trust, we'll trust, we'll step out in faith. And then it, sustaining that belief when there isn't the evidence of it. It's very easy for us to begin to turn towards, well, we'll just help God out a bit. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, well, God seems to have like, um, is he distracted some? I mean, there's a lot going on in the Middle East. Maybe, uh, you know, we'll just do something, we'll remind him, or we'll just help him along. And so they, Abraham and Sarah, they, they kind of think, well, Sarah's kind of like, well, it's really important. Abraham, you need an offspring, you need an heir. Well, I, I'm too old. Here's Hagar. Hagar's an Egyptian slave, and, and that's part of the problem. It just, I mean, it's so culturally different for us. We think, why has Abraham got a slave and God uses, you know, God's in this? And, and Sarah says, Abraham, sleep with Hagar. And Hagar falls pregnant. And Hagar is kind of like, oh, I'm pregnant. Look at you old Sarah. <laughs> who's, who's top of the pile now, Sarah? I've got the offspring. I've got the heir. And then Ishmael is born. And it kind of sets up jealousy. What seemed like a good idea to Sarah is now kind of like it's a deep knife, deep wound to her. And she's like resentful and jealous and bitter of Hagar because she's provided the son, Ishmael. 
Anyway, God hasn't been distracted, and they didn't need to help him along because God is quite able to do the miraculous. I mean, he rose Jesus from the grave, from the dead and buried, gone. He's quite able to bring a child out of, of old Sarah. It's not humanly possible. You know, it's boaters sail. I mean, I don't need to go on about that. You know, it was too late. But with God, all things are possible. So Sarah becomes pregnant, and she gives birth to Isaac. And again, we live in a different age, where, partly where the first child, the offspring, isn't kind of the one that is given everything, inherits the lion's share, that we tend to be a bit more equitable. So there's all sorts of cultural challenges here, because it's like slaves sleeping with the slave girl, and jealousy and division, and then Ishmael and Isaac, you know, Ishmael bullies Isaac, and eventually they kind of send them away, and they're in the desert. Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. And Paul turns to this, and bizarrely starts to tell them, in a sort of series of, uh, it kind of seems like to us quite a big ask. He, he says, and the first thing to note is, is, um, is this, verse 24. These things are to be taken figuratively. That there's certain things in the story that I don't think necessarily we should take as, uh, uh, um, we should take as, as kind of God um, authorizing and saying this is normal behavior. But, but Paul draws on this illustration precisely to kind of go back before Moses, to go back before the Sinai covenant where God's people, were, you know, where the Ten Commandments were given and, and these Judaizers were pointing and saying, this is the law, you must be circumcised. These are the ways to demonstrate faithfulness to the covenant by doing this, doing that, showing this, following this, and so forth. That, that Paul says actually, no, 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 let's go further back. Let's go back to the beginning, to the heart, the start. And he, he draws on having looked at Abraham and said, it's all about trusting God and his word. He then goes on and says, you see, in the example of Abraham and his children, who is, who is the child of promise? Isaac. Who is the child of the flesh? Thank you. Paul turns things on its head. You see, for the people uh, uh, who would class themselves as Jewish, who would, who would they see themselves as the descendants of? The child of promise or the child of rebellion? They'd see themselves as the children. They'd say, we are the descendants, the, the descendants of Abraham. We're, the, we're, kind of, we're Jewish, or if you want to become part of this, you become part of the descendants of, of Abraham through Isaac by doing what it looks like. But Paul says, ah, 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 turn it on its head, upside down, topsy-turvy. It's actually the other way around. You Jewish people are the children of Ishmael. I can see that's sort of astonishingly controversial to us all here. <laughs> you see, for, for the Jews, they would see the Gentiles as the outsiders, the descendants of not the covenant. The, the, gen, the Jews would see the descendants of Hagar, 
the offspring of Ishmael has been the outsiders. And the Jews, descended from Abraham and Isaac, are the children of promise. I mean, that's always the, the story that goes through. The, you know, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so on. Twelve tribes. That's who belongs. Paul says, no, 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 no. Why? Because legalism and grace don't mix. And he points precisely back to this story and says, this story is all about grace. It's not about doing. Abraham and Sarah took the initiative. They thought, we will try and do this in our own strength because there's no way that we're going to have a baby naturally. I mean, Sarah, look at you. That ship sailed. In other words, we will do something in order to, to make it happen. And Paul is saying, you Galatians, if you abandon the gospel, you'll become, and these Judaizers are saying, you abandon the Messiah, the one who's come to rescue. If you choose that way, you become the descendants. Ishmael, the one of work, the one of trying to do it yourself, trying to manipulate the pieces to make it happen through your own ability. Because Isaac was the miracle. Isaac was God's provision. Isaac when, wasn't just, you know, a bit of good luck. It was a sovereign move of God, the power of God to bring life where there was no life, an impossibility of life, to bring promise where there, it seemed entirely impossible. And as such, the children of God are the children of promise, the children of the miraculous work of God, the intervention of God, the action of God, entirely through his sovereign intervention. Do you see what he's driving at? Not trying harder or doing enough or making it happen yourself, but trusting in the entire promise of God. That's Isaac, a gift of grace, not Ishmael. Legalism and faith don't mix. Oil and water don't. Magnets don't. I mean, this, this is astonishingly shocking, particularly if you think you're in because you're in, because you're confident of it. And Paul is writing them and saying, no, you become the children of promise, the, the true people of God. When you see the action of God, of God's initiative to bring it about. That Hagar and Ishmael, the Egyptian slave girl of Mount Sinai of Egypt, are actually all about religion of law-keeping of human effort. On the contrary, the story of grace, the story of the action of God, the story of faith and trusting in God's saving work is Isaac. These false teachers are at risk of sinking the entire ship. It's either or. It's not a merging, not a blending. Hugely, hugely important. It really matters. It's a figurative story. It, you know, there's all sorts of things we could raise and say, oh, really? But this is what he's driving about. 
that the gospel of Jesus is all about the grace of God. It's all about, for us, receiving this wonderful message, this astonishing, shocking news that you're not good enough, but he says, come. That we can't try hard enough and learn more and revise enough and strive enough and contend enough. It's simply a gift. This is the gospel. Who needs a doctor, the well or the sick? Who's most thankful? The one who's forgiven much or forgiven little? I mean, both should be thankful. I mean, that's the shock of the story. But actually, those who've experienced this, that know their need, kind of are most, most grateful because they can't do it. The sick can't heal themselves. The physician does. Identity is at the heart of this. Now, there's all sorts of implications of, and it's amazing how, how it creeps in of, uh, of who we think we are and, and who seems to be amongst the church of the most worthy. And uh, you know, we either think of it ourselves or we look to others and think, well, they've been around the longest. Or, you know, it's amazing how meritocracy creeps in. It's not to say we don't honor and recognize maturity and godliness. Of course we do. But never let it slip into thinking of deservedness any more than we or the worst or the least deserve. In, in closing, I hope this helps because it just seems a little bit kind of very, very different culturally for what we're thinking about. But grace matters entirely. And I hope this little story helps. It's a true story. Um, I remember hearing about it, and it was only when I took time to, to kind of think about it recently that, that, again, the power of it was struck. Our current Archbishop of Canterbury is um, Justin Welby. And um, there was a story that the, the Telegraph, one of the new journalists, uh, discovered in the course of conversation that, that actually be, became really shocking for him. Do you know this story? That, that they discover the Archbishop of Canterbury is the Ill illegitimate son of Winston Churchill's last private secretary. The journalist kind of got a glimpse of this and talked about it, and they eventually did some DNA tests and found out that the father that he believed, Gavin Welby, who is a whiskey salesman and the son of a Jewish immigrant who was briefly married to his mother, Jane, it wasn't that she slept with someone else someone called Anthony Montague Brown, who was Churchill's uh, last um, private secretary, worked in Downing Street during his retirement. I mean, can you imagine for, for Justin how his world must be turned upside down? I mean, he spent his life and his career, and he's the archbishop, and, you know, for a journalist to come, I mean, I don't know how you'd think if someone kind of came and challenged and said, you, you don't know who you are, do you? I think you're the illegitimate child of somebody else. And so through some DNA testing and so forth, they, 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 they discovered that actually the archbishop in who he thought he was, wasn't. But he said this, and this is what's most powerful, they, they kind of asked him the obvious question, how do you feel about this? 
And he said this really wisely and really profoundly. He said, there is no existential crisis and no resentment against anyone. My identity is founded in who I am in Christ. And for me, it's, it's not exactly parallel to what Paul is saying. But in, in looking at the kind of human origins of who did this and to whom and when and who was the biological, you know, where do we kind of root ourselves? Whose am I? And I'm sure he's processed that and it's been a big journey for him. But he's actually come to say, actually, my primary identity is in Christ Jesus. Not because I was born to a private secretary of Winston Churchill or a whiskey salesman. I'm a child of God. Not because I'm the archbishop or I've been an oil executive or I went to a privileged school, but I'm a child of God. How do we become a child of God? By trusting in Jesus, the Messiah. Simply and solely, and thankfully and wholeheartedly and saying, Lord and Savior, I will follow. There is no existential, that means no sense of crisis of being for him. No resentment against anyone. My identity is founded in who I am in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't use those words, but he, he would say to, to the church in Galatia and the reminder to us is we are the children of God because of Jesus. Not because you've earned it, not because you've been born in the right place at the right time, or you've done enough to show it but it's all about Jesus. That we're all children because of promise. We're all children because of the wonderful, saving, miraculous initiative of God. He says, I will intervene and make it happen. You can't do it yourself. It's as revolutionary when we let it sink in as Copernicus saying, actually guys, totally revolutionized, transforms. Goes contrary to everything that we learn. Do good and you'll get a reward. You know, children, you know, if don't moan and pester me and you'll get a nice bit of sweet later on. Reward, good behavior, punishment for bad of earning our place, earning our status, the deserved, all of that. And yet the kingdom of God, the wonderful kingdom of God of promise, of promise, of grace. Let's pray together.